DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dylan, good morning. How are we doing? Good. The Cougars are 5-0. and Are you uh, encouraged by the way they rallied and scored 29 straight points? To close that game, are you a little worried about the way they gave up 23 in a row in the middle of the game and seemed to really struggle on both sides of the ball? Or it's all about the W and you're not projecting any of that other stuff ahead to what it might mean against Boise State? Yeah, I think one of the most important aspects of the entire thing, right, is it, you know last week we kind of talked about uh, how are they going to respond? Uh, how are they going to respond this week, right? And so... I think a lot of the times, and what normally happens with BYU, and obviously, right, you, Mr. Glass Apple, Mr. Optimistic, but when you look at normally what would have taken place on a normal BYU team these last few years, it would have been we give up 23, guess what? That means we're going to give up 14 more and lose the game, right? So for them to be able to bounce back, rally the troops, and kind of get it going, right, I see, I saw a lot of benefit of it, and you still can't, you know dispute the fact that they did play a pretty pretty dang good game against a really athletic team, and they did exactly what we wanted them to, which was, hey, how are you going to bounce back? So when you speak of that, and it's hard to argue, when you say that in prior years, what's the difference this year as you see it? Uh, I just think the confidence in the leadership, right? People's confidence in Kalani. Um, you know, there's a plan that goes into place, and their ability to adjust because they understand their personnel, um, I think that there's a lot of confidence in that. And I kind of had said this before, but you look at, uh, you know, Gunner going down and not being able to use him to his full capacity, right, and then immediately switching the game plan and being able to adjust to now having Dax as the main guy, right? And it's a different – they're two different receivers with two different styles of play. And so to be able to adjust like they did – Right, I, I just don't think that would have happened, and I think there's a lot more confidence and you know, Bayrod and Fessy and Grimes to be able to adjust under those circumstances. So how does a guy who is apparently overlooked by everybody end up with 184 yards receiving? What makes him good, and why didn't people see it earlier? Um, I, to be honest, one, when you have an absolutely you know, phenomenal quarterback who can get you the ball, and then just his natural athletic ability. Um, I think he got looked, he got looked over simply just because of the the eye test and right uh, as a high school kid it was kind of like yeah there's other people here right whereas to me as soon as he came to BYU you could see that he was different right that he was a next level athlete and I was extremely surprised to find out that he didn't have any offers or was just a walk on so. Um, yeah, I think that's just bad coaching on people's part and, and the inability to actually recruit and find the right guys. You talk about, you just named the coaches uh, offensively that the uh, players have confidence in. And, and I've been around uh, college football and BYU football for a good long while right. now, and I can speak to when players didn't have confidence in coaches, and we saw the results. And when players have confidence in coaches, the results were startling the other way. So the thought for you yeah. is how important is that, that the players 100% buy into what's being sold to them? Uh, you know, 
a big part of it. And that's where the culture and the mindset and everything kind of truly takes on, right, a different, uh, uh, I guess, like a, a different task. Because you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right culture and people who believe in you as a coach, then you're not going to win many games. The games where you go down and you let up 23 straight points, right, like it's not going to end up working out in the end. So how much of this is all the, the culture and the trust and how much is they had to play three different, relatively inexperienced quarterbacks last season, and this year they're playing one experienced quarterback? A huge part. A huge part. I mean, you just go off the simple fact that Zach hasn't played a full season. This is his first full season where he's been in start to finish, has had confidence that he's going to be the guy from the get-go, right? Um uh, from a quarterback standpoint, that's a huge, huge benefit. You called it with the Zach Wilson. We've been over this. Uh, you called it as a freshman when he was a freshman that how great he could be. Do you think you were the lone guy out there, or did others believe it at BYU? I think we're so used to believing this about every quarterback that comes in that people were more skeptical than normal, right? Because that's kind of like the – where it's like, hey, you know, every quarterback that comes in, right, you talk about, oh, this is the next, this is the next Robbie Bosco. But in reality, right, Zach really was that guy from the jump. And unfortunately, it's kind of like Brian Wolf, right? You've heard it so many times since that everyone's just like, oh, here we go again. Like another BYU quarterback who's supposed to be a Heisman Trophy winner when, you know, people who genuinely know kind of what they're doing, what they're talking about, were. You know, looking at Zach and saying, hey, this guy is, is legit. You surprised that BYU's depth held up so well? There were a lot of guys missing either for part of the game or the whole game, and there were a different position groups and all that, and yet the depth came through Hello? well enough. Yeah. You got us? Sorry. That's okay. I, I'm curious if you were a little surprised that the depth held up so well in so many position groups because there were a lot of guys missing for either part of the game or all of the game. Yeah, uh, and, and that was that was going to be kind of the big test, right? Like, how is how are you going to go when your defense is based around Kyrus, when your defense is based around Zoe? How are you going to be able to hold up, um, you know, against that? How are you going to be able to adjust when Gunner's not playing, right? And they really did a a phenomenal job of stepping up and playing extremely good football. And I think that's an testament to you, you know how how good this team really is um, instead of just being able to say, oh, well, we only have 22 guys that we can play with. They're, they're playing with everybody. So when we get to the Boise week, focus and attention and enthusiasm and all that stuff will be on high alert. Now, obviously, all of us will be excited for that game. But we've got two games before we get there. What do you want to see this team do to make sure that they're in tune and still progressing against far lesser competition so they're not overlooking these guys and looking ahead to Boise? Yeah, I think a big part of that is how can you play all four quarters, right? There needs to be the focus and priority on setting higher goals. Um, you know, maybe not as uh, obtainable, I guess. It's, it's all about, hey, how many consistent plays can we have in all four quarters instead of, you know, let's not let up uh, 14 points and bounce back. Like, I hope we're not having the conversation of, 
oh, we fought back really well the next two weeks. Like, there needs to be kind of an utter dominance that goes on the next two weeks against these teams before Boise State because, you know, when it comes down to it, that really is the true test. No matter what anybody says, no matter how Boise's playing, BYU has struggled at Albertson Stadium and against that team. Yeah, they're not alone. We were digging up the numbers earlier this week, and uh, Utah, Utah State, and BYU combined are 0-15 at Boise State on the blue turf since 1996. Utah State won there in 96, but since then, and that was right when Boise State was making the move to the Big West, and they they had not become Boise State yet. But since then, everybody's a combined 0-15. And there's also some fairly hideous losses in bowl games and in home games. Uh I think there's a combined four wins in that time period for all three schools. Yeah. Brutal. I, 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 and I actually really like it, right? Like, I, I don't know why the, my entire career, the three times that I played there, uh, I actually played some of my best football at Halverson Stadium. Uh, didn't beat Boise any of those times. Actually, one of the most embarrassing losses was probably Boise State, uh, I want to say 2016, um, or 2015, my freshman year at Hawaii. Obviously, we weren't very good. And putting up even three wins was special, but uh, at Boise, I think we lost like 48 nothing. Ooh. Good times. <laughs> a bunch of attention is coming BYU's way, obviously, this year uh, with the national ranking and Zach Wilson doing what he's doing, and at least it should continue to a good degree. To what degree remains to be seen but how much do you think this can benefit guys who maybe were thinking about going elsewhere to say, no, nah, man, I, I like what BYU's doing. I'm going to – I might I might, uh, might go there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, this is probably going to be the biggest year for recruiting. I think if you even look at the last year and the recruits that BYU was able to get, um, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys who are now – waking up going, hey, this is worthwhile, right? Kalani has another four years. We're kind of just getting the ball rolling with this team. I think the next three or four years could be extremely beneficial when it comes to recruiting. So the NCA is inching its way towards changing the transfer rule, uh, and I guess it'll be official next summer, apparently, is the timeline. But as a guy who transferred – how much talent do you think will be available to BYU when they don't have to have a grad transfer and get them admitted to grad school, which is its own separate hoops to jump through? Yeah. How big an impact will it be when someone can just come for a, a junior and senior year or just a senior year, just a year or two, and, and do it as an undergrad? Yeah, uh, I, think, I think it's going to be huge. I think it's big for college football in a lot of ways, not just BYU, right? Because you're getting – you're kind of opening yourself up for opportunities on, you know, people aren't saying, okay, where do I want to live for the next four years or what powerhouse conference I want to be at for the next four years. It's kind of like you may go for two years and love the hype, right, of the uniforms and the locker room and all that stuff. And then, you know, you might, after the second year, your only thought is, well, if I leave, I lose a year and then that puts me a year behind, so I'm not going to go, right? Whereas now, you kind of have the ability to say, if you are going to transfer, you feel it's right, then you're saying, well, I'm not a big fan of the situation. I'm not putting myself in the best situation. 
so I'm just going to go ahead and I can go play where, you know, I feel is best for me. And it's not so, hey, what looks cool and what's the, the best locker room to be in. So for BYU's sake, it's, it's big. So has BYU discovered something in terms of scheduling? Because, you know, they've gone big, and they usually get out of September with a couple losses. And here, because of the circumstances, they've gone, so to speak, smaller, with sprinkled in with a few big games, sort of like Boise has done over the years. What do you think about this going forward, or as a player, would you rather have the other guys and let the chips fall where they may? I'm... I think a big mix of both. I think this team specifically would have handled the schedule that was online extremely well. Can we say that every single year? Absolutely not. But I think, you know, when it comes to truly being able to prove yourself, no matter what happens, if BYU goes 10-0 this year and they go to a New Year's Six Bowl and they get blown out by 30, everything that happened before doesn't matter, right? And so – that's what happens with a lot of these teams is you get this schedule that's, you know, a little cakey and it gets to the very end and they can't perform against that first big P6 school against uh, as part of the New Year's Six and they kind of, you know, everyone loses their respect. I think needing, you know, a little bit more competition, building out that schedule with the strength it normally has, I think that has more for the bigger picture than just, you know, than just uh, being 12-0 and and losing in the P6. Dylan, I like that. The schedule, a little cakey. I think that is a chance to catch on. (laughs) It's it's just a touch cakey. (laughs) Just a touch cakey. I've never heard the word cakey. A little cakey. (laughs) In Hawaii, it means children. Uh, But for this case, it's just, you know, Maybe maybe a little soft, yeah. but that's that no right. That's that's at no one's fault. Right, it's just right. COVID's fault. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. All right, Dylan. As always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming in and uh, enjoy the Texas State game slash blowout. If I didn't jinx hey. anything, <laughs> no, <laughs> that should be the case. If not, we've got huge worries. All right, thanks, Dylan. All right. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, joining us here, and he's uh, on every week talking college football here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And he's right with you there on the transfer rule, PK. It's, it's an easier decision for someone. They know where they stand at the school. They, you know, as a high school kid, there's a lot of unknowns. You haven't been to college before. You don't know how you fit in college programs. You don't know how you fit in in college. You don't know a lot of stuff. Whereas coming off a second or third year of college football, and thinking, mm, am I really a good fit here? Do I want to be here after this coaching change or whatever's going on at the school you're at? Uh, could be some talent headed BYU's way. Well, let's call it like it is here. This is a great opportunity for BYU to bring in some non-LDS guys, likely African-American. Let's be honest. Let's have real discussion. And basically the kid, who's not a kid anymore, He's a young man at that point if he's in his third year, particularly if he's redshirted a year, so really he's in his fourth year. And so he's got one or two years left, and he doesn't have to worry about the grad stuff. And he looks at it, and he sees pretty big-time program with big-time attention, big-time schedule. You can get to the NFL, and if you don't get the NFL, you can have a heck of a run in the meantime – 
and I got what you need, and you want what I have. Well, let's just go to a year ago. You know, Tyson Williams could come in and say, okay, I know how many carries I'm going to get there. Now, he got hurt, so it kind of ruins the story. Uh, but you still have a sample size while he was there, and it was going well for him individually, and it was going well for the team as a group. Right. And it, you know, I couldn't imagine being a, a minority going to BYU and uh, pretend, especially, I can't, I can't say that 100%, depending on what my background is, because we're still a segregated society. There's communities that you folks live over there, you folks live over there. And that's why I, I enjoy uh, these uh, affluent uh, white people telling us all this stuff about race. And meanwhile, they live up in the hill and all their neighbors look exactly like them and they're preaching to us. Uh, so some guys, that's not the case. But for some, it is. But I think they can have the maturity to say, yeah, I, I can handle this because I, I'm a man now. I'm not a kid. I'm not a lad. I'm, I've been through a lot. And there's probably a reason why you're transferring anyway to some degree, some form of uh, you're not getting what you want, whatever it might be. And BYU would have a lot to offer. So if I'm uh, Kalani and I'm Mark Pope, and Mark Pope has already done it to a good degree, and good for him because who cares, man? Your, your charge is to win, and in whatever way you have to do, as long as it's in the rules, you go ahead and do it. And so for football, if I'm Kalani, I just researched that big time. I mean, we've talked about, uh, we've heard from uh, basketball guys. Chris Burgess, I think, has said it. They're looking at that stuff every day to see who could potentially be available. And those are all with grad transfers. Now, if you don't have the grad transfer <laughs> and you're able to do it, and we've already seen basketball specifically is more of a free-for-all, okay, well, those are the rules. And rather than complain about the rules, take advantage of the rules. So I expect BYU men's basketball and football, the two sports we care about the most, to really jump in there and get some kids. There may be some misses, but I have a feeling that there's probably going to be a lot more benefits because you can get kids that, like a Tyson Williams that you you spoke of, man. When, anytime you spoke to him, you felt like you were talking to a man, not a kid. And so he knew the circumstances. He knew exactly what it was about and why he was there, and they have a singular purpose, and they don't want to screw it up. And so all those storylines are true, but I don't think you should exclude the other storyline. You know, we heard for years about <clears throat> anytime there was a vote in the Mountain West, maybe in the WAC too, but certainly in the Mountain West, about transfers uh, inside the conference and all that and losing the extra year, you know, the vote was 7-1 to one or 8-1 to one because everyone was afraid the LDS athletes they recruited were going to come back from a mission and bolt to BYU. And yeah. I got to think that that, with the rules changing, BYU is going to pick up some athletes there too. It won't just okay. be non-church members. Um, there'll be some. But there'll be some church members who maybe thought, hey, and, and even, you know, we always talk about the in-state kids leaving the state. Maybe there'll be some kids who leave the state. Now, maybe there'll be, you know, kids who grew up in Arizona or California, too. You know, who's to say? Yeah, I just don't see as much on them because those kids who leave the state to a good degree, they're having success other places. And so they don't want to go home. They don't want to go to BYU. Well, you're having success. You're not likely to transfer. 
you know, if you're having success. But when there's a coaching change or things get sideways or they recruit over the top of you or you're coming back from an injury and you can't quite regain your spot in the depth chart, you know, there's a lot of stories out there. But there's a handful of them we see pretty often, too. Uh, but those numbers are much, much smaller than the entire country. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBSSports.com, joins us coming up at 9.30. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. This story is crazy about becoming an ultimate Aggie, which apparently is getting up on that bull naked. What bull is it? Is it the one that's by the Estes Center? Isn't that bull like bucking? I'm just wondering how five nude men could fit on that. <laughs> it's a big bull. Five nude men could fit on I, that? Five smaller men, yeah, probably <laughs> could make that work. There you go. That's the size of the thing right there. Okay, it's not bucking. You could probably fit upwards of ten naked men on that. So in order for you to be the ultimate Aggie, you have to be naked? Yes. I did not know that this was a thing. See, I would think if you were going to be an ultimate Aggie, that it needs to be solo. Because these five were not solo. And that's where a lot of guys up at Utah State are like, hey, maybe dial that down a little bit. <laughs> Easy. One ultimate Aggie at a time. Hanson Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Syringa Networks is home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Well, the countdown is on, PK. We are now, uh, for the Aggies, they got their opener against uh, Boise State this Saturday. For the Utes and the Cougars, the games are November 6th and 7th. So what are we, 17 and 18 days away from when things get really interesting? Oh, yeah, I think things get really interesting 14 days from today, if you get my drift. Oh, then you're getting all political on me there, huh? That ain't going to happen when you know what and you know who is in (laughs) office. I'll tell you what. (laughs) That leaves it wide open. Good work. Okay, just for a moment, while while Yacht gets to the Dylan Colley sound and gets that cut up, because Dylan Colley made a point, we want to hit on that in just a second. I did think of you, uh, just to pull the curtain back, when PK gets bored, he inevitably starts flipping around until he finds the Godfather, which I think the Godfather, the Brady Bunch, what other show is always on somewhere? Oh, Family Feud. Family Feud is always on somewhere. Uh, and so... I know you're watching because you'll just start texting me random lines. And one line could reference anything happening in the world of sports. So then i got to check and see what's on Twitter that I may or may not have missed. But if I get a second line, then I know you're watching the movie. And I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Dr. Fauci went on 60 Minutes this week, and he said stuff, and of course that irritated the president, so the president blasted back at him. And then I don't know where Fauci was getting interviewed, but he's getting interviewed somewhere, and somebody asked him about the president going after him, and he went straight to the godfather. Oh, I don't worry about that. You don't worry about it? He's the president of the United States. So it isn't personal. It's strictly business. <laughs> like... <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm thinking of you again, because that's one of the lines you love to text. <laughs> it isn't personal. It's strictly business. Uh, all right, Yak, you got that? All right, Dylan Colley made a point, PK. You wanted to amplify this. It, uh, it could be underrated if you haven't been playing close attention, or if you don't talk to people in the program, it might have slipped by you. But uh, Dylan wasn't just making stuff up when he said this. 
you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right culture and people who believe in you as a coach, then you're not going to win many games. The games where you go down and you let up 23 straight points, like it's not going to end up working out in the end. I think that's been something that's been missing. It's a two-way belief. Belief in the players and the players buying in. Because we've seen, as Gordon Monson would say, down there to where there was not. There was zero buy-in. It's like, you speak, but these words have no meaning. And I don't trust you. And there was little trust going back and forth. And you had chaos, confusion, just all sorts of bad things. And I think that Brockle Mendenhall, when he had, uh, so it would have been what, like 2006? Five was his first year. Six right. was kind of the breakout year. Exactly. And so by 2006, he could have said, boys, we need to roll over and bark like a dog for we, the next we, 15 minutes. No, you know, we, he, what he literally said, we need to go lay on the grass in the stadium, look at the clouds, and visualize success. Yeah. And we did a show on that. And there were a lot of people who were like, what? <laughs> What is he doing? But because the players trusted him, it worked. And I think that by that 2006 season, when he rolled out the first of his double-digit wins, I think he had four in a row, everything that he said they were buying in, right? So you had that going on. And then, what, 2015, he leaves. New guys come in, and you got a ton of guys. you got some guys who got experience, but most of the guys have zero experience coaching at that level. Even the legend had coaching, zero coaching experience coaching at that level. And now that it's gone past, we've heard, I've heard stories, guys, kids have told me stuff, whatnot, and I was like, what's going on here? So they won nine ball games that first year, but that was basically with Broncos guys. I think we'd all have to agree with that. You had an NFL guy, two NFL runners in Williams and Hill. No matter what you think of Hill as a passer, he obviously was an NFL talent with his athletic ability and his ability to run uh, and leap over people and and act like he was Edwin Moses and not miss a beat and be at full speed when he hit the ground. Just, just sensational. And he had that kind of athletic ability. But then they go away, and they bought him out to 4-9. And they make major changes, and there took time to have that trust they're, you just don't have it. It has to be built. Shaq and Kobe talked about that. Shaq's particularly, when Phil Jackson came in, if you want to use another word, it's credibility, right? He had, when Phil Jackson came in, he had credibility, and the coach, uh, the players, the star players, they trusted him. At least Shaq did, anyway. And Kobe, you know, he went along with it, and they won titles, right? And so here, I think this season now, and it's not just Kalani, it's the staff. And they're, they, I think they're working their way towards having a good deal of trust. And I think that's imperative. Could you imagine anybody in Alabama not trusting Nick Saban? Yeah, see, you get to a different point. That's, it's a little apples and oranges there because you're right. Of course they trust Saban. Saban tells you it's going to be like this when he's recruiting you. And then when you get there and the practices are just what he told you, and then the games are just what he told you, you have trust. 
you know, not to the Saban level because Saban's went in at an unbelievable rate. But, uh, you know, locally, Kyle's been doing it long enough that he's told a lot of players it's like this when he recruits them, and then it's like this when they get there and they start practicing, and then it's like this when they start playing. And so it builds the trust. And to your point, the offensive staff got a total reset three years ago. And maybe we were starting to see it last year, but they had so many injuries and so much turnover, they couldn't really get in the groove and cash in on that trust. They played three different quarterbacks. They played, I don't know how many different running backs. Um, Williams was the big injury, but then based on performance, different guys got carries in that too. Uh, But now you're seeing the O-line is returning, so they know the deal. The quarterback is returning. He knows the deal. The offensive staff is returning. They know the deal. So when you're told it's going to be like this, and then it's like that, you got that trust you're talking about. And that's why I think that you can go over the last you know, 25 years of college football, and you can find a lot of coaches who had a lot of success, and they didn't have it year one because they didn't have that trust and those expectations in place. Here's what I expect. If you meet these expectations, you will get these results. And you see a lot of quarter, a lot of coaches who some have success. I, I think that's the thing with Urban is that he's able to have quite a bit of success year one. His year two usually is better than his year one, but he gets that. But one of the things he does is you, he, he crushes you in the workouts to the point that everyone hates him. Literally, the players loathe him. But then he gets in the game situation and he says, you're going to win because you worked harder. You may have hated it in that moment, but it's about to pay off in this moment. And then when it does, he has all kinds of trust. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And I don't think Kalani had it. I'm not sure he has it fully what he needs. It's getting there, and this season is going a long way. I don't, I don't think they had it. it was, it's been a problem. Not really sure. Sure what's going on. Well, if they had it last year, they would have closed out those three games. And part of that was that they didn't have the star running back who could have you know, grinded out four, five, six yards at a time, shorten the games, keep the ball, and win the games. So they lost that. And then they had to play three different quarterbacks, and they each had to figure it out. And, and they had, they were changed. And a couple of those games they lost, it doesn't explain Hawaii. I think that's a different deal. Uh, but a couple of games they lost earlier in the year in Toledo and South Florida, they had to change quarterbacks in the game. Maybe more South Florida than Toledo. Um, and so those are all things you don't have the trust, you don't have the relationship. Well, you haven't been out there playing. You know, you've been standing on the sideline. Okay. But in those games, you know, they. If I remember correctly, quarterbacks were getting hurt late in the games. Yeah. So they shouldn't even have been in that situation. And if they had a running back, maybe they wouldn't have been. But I don't think they have a star running back this year. Yeah, they haven't had to. They've run the ball until the Houston game where they didn't run the ball. Um, They didn't run the ball well in the Houston game. But until that, they have been running the ball well, and they haven't had to shorten games because they've been blowing people out. But they used the run game to annihilate Navy. And I think that was more on Navy. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of one-offs this year. But if you win and you build the trust, who cares about the one-offs? It doesn't really matter. Yeah. And that's what is sending a strong message. That's the message that's being sent. And they made the adjustments in the second half against Houston defensively, which was, I think, under the circumstances, off the top of my head, I'm trying to run through, might be the best half defensively that they've played since Kalani's been there. And Tuiaki's been there with him the whole time. In fact, most of the defense uh, has been there 
have they, have they just made one defensive change since Kalani's been there? Yeah, Hadley came on as that tenth assistant when he was right. Only that, That's it. Extra That's coach. it. Other than that, it's been the same guys, and I don't think there was a lot of trust there. And they saw that they made the, and that has nothing to do with the quarterback playing three quarterbacks and running backs. Blah 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 blah. That's on the other side of the ball. And defensively, I don't think there was a trust there. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure that the guys had it. And I'm not sure that the, the, the coaches had it in the guys as much as they needed to. And they made those adjustments, and that second half was really good. And that's what we've been calling for. And they displayed it, and they dominated. You know, Zach Wilson's getting a lot of run because uh, we're in the age of offense now, and teams put up a lot of points, and he deserves all the run he's getting. He's a brilliant quarterback, star, uh, really good and all that stuff. But defensively, that was the story of the game. Really. And we hadn't seen that. That's something that had been missing. And we saw that. And that was great. And it's building. And that's what they're going to need. They're going. You have to, for BYU, you just can't rely on, oh, we're a good program, this is your church school, so come here. Those days are gone. And they're sending a good message that, hey, this is a place where we can build and we can get you where you want to go. Well, the thing that's missing this year is the games with the Power 5 teams, and there's not much that can be done about that. Uh, maybe something will break their way late in the year and Tom will be ad- able to add a game, and maybe something will break their way in the New Year's Six and they'll get one there. Um, but you look back at a year ago, and that's where I think you can say, even though they didn't completely have it, they were starting to build it. You know, Utah was an 11-win team, and Utah handled them pretty well. Uh, Tennessee, USC, and Washington were all 8-win teams, and they won two of those three. So you can't prove it right now because you don't have the teams on your schedule, but it looks like it's trending in the direction that BYU fans want. And whether that's being able to turn around a game, and I really think this is underestimated. When, when, when things are going well, it's great. But when they start going poorly in the middle of the game, can you turn it around or do you need another game to hit reset and practices and all that? In fact, they were able to turn it around in the middle of the game. That's got to count for something. It does. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but if you're a good team, you can do it. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how good Houston is going forward. I mean, they've only played a couple of games here. Um, but they passed the eyeball test. I know they were picked seventh in their league coming off a four-win season. But <laughs> oddly, I've watched enough AAC football now that I think – that they ought to be top third of the league. I don't know if they'll be better than that. You know, That's Cent- a good league, too. I, I know. And Central Florida and Cincinnati have good teams, and I don't know that Houston's good enough to beat those teams, so I don't want to go out on that limb. But they were picked behind Tulane, who they've already uh, beaten. They were picked behind Navy, who I think they'll be able to beat. Um, you know, how do they stack up? Memphis is another team. You know, how do they stack up with those guys? So, And for everybody else, it's uh, Circle November 6th and Circle November 7th because on the 6th, BYU plays Boise State up there, and then on the 7th, the Utes kick off their Pac-12 schedule, and then things really get going. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Nothing else matters, fellas! Every day we go to work! Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered as the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. You gotta go faster, faster! Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day! 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're talking a lot of college football this morning, but PK, we should probably take a brief moment to talk a little bit of NFL here for people who consumed the doubleheader yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs beating the Bills in some nasty-looking weather. Andy, uh, Andy Reid, every time I see Andy Reid, that I think of my dad, he had this table saw. He was very handy. He was handier around the house than you and I combined, which isn't saying much because neither one of us is very handy. But he had this big plastic face guard. And every time I see that thing, I think Andy Reid's about to fire up the table saw, which makes a distinctive high-pitched whine. But what he's really about to do is fire up an offense that is, uh, even in lousy weather, is pretty impressive. And they beat the Bills, who started 4-0 and are now 4-2. and The Steelers and Titans are perfect 5-0. and The Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champs at 5-1. and You got the Ravens at 5-1 and also. The top of the AFC looks, uh, looks pretty, intri- pretty interesting, pretty intriguing. There's some, there's some good storylines there right now. Uh, I would agree with that. Sure, yeah. But I, mean, I think that's par for the course in the NFL. I think this is who they are. The Chiefs, yeah, the Chiefs are the Super Bowl champs. Can they repeat? The Titans, a yes. Cinderella team that came out of nowhere and ended up in the AFC title game, uh, look like well, they're five and zero. They're the real deal. Uh, so they're all in this year. You know, the Tannehill thing wasn't just a flash in the pan. The Steelers have Roethlisberger back, and of course, he's won a couple Super Bowls and uh, routinely, you know, pushing New England in the AFC for a decade now. And the Baltimore Ravens. Awesome regular season record again, but can you get it done in the playoffs? That's the real question. They were the one seed last year, so that's pretty spectacular. Uh, On the other side, in the NFC, uh, your Arizona Cardinals, not in the top tier of teams. You have to own everything from Arizona, by the way. Just, well, just if they're good, I'll own them. If they suck, I don't want anything to do with them. <laughs> Seattle is 5-0 and 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 looking great. The Bears are a surprising 5-1. and The Packers are 4-1 and and certainly in the mix again, as they've been many times. And then Brady and the Bucks, they haven't looked great. They've had their issues, but they are 4-2. and And your Cardinals and the Rams are right there at 4-2 and as well. The Rams bouncing back after a a disappointing post-Super Bowl season. And a a team that's got some pieces back from two years ago, but also has some new pieces from two years ago. Everybody has new pieces from two years ago. Uh, Seattle and Arizona play this Sunday. I looked it up uh, last night as I was watching that game to see what their schedule was. And that's going to be a big game, obviously, much bigger for Arizona if they find a way to win it than they're legitimate. I mean, you beat Dallas without Dak and Ezekiel coughing the ball up. And the defense should, being terrible. You should be able to beat those guys, and they did. And it was uh, a little bit boring. I, I ended up uh, turning it off after a while. Oh, yeah. I was watching. I flicked on a thing, and they had a, a thing on the Mets and the Yankees when they played in the World Series and going back and forth. And I like those types of things when they splice in uh, comments from mm-hmm. guys looking back. Here's what we were thinking then. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I find that uh, I find that real interesting. Anyway, uh, the thing that's really interesting to me, and it's across the board. It's not specific to any sport, really. Is how some franchises are really good almost all the time, and how some fr- other franchises really suck almost all the time. All the time. And what is it? Why is that? You look at Pittsburgh. Let's just say Pittsburgh, the Steelers, right? Mm-hmm. You already mentioned they're off their great start. And you look at the Lions. <laughs> it seems like my whole life the Lions have sucked. 
ownership matters. The Ford family is not good at doing this. There's no other way. They've won one playoff game since 1957. The Ford family's owned them the whole time. I think it starts at the top. Then how come they have just dominated in the car business when they haven't been able to transfer it over here? If you're Cuban is is brilliant, right? I mean, he's out there being political now, so if you agree with him, great. If you don't, he's a bum. I get all that. But he comes up and he's and he starts this thing, the broadcast thing, and he sells it. And the Mavericks I think, you know, after he toned it down and realized he doesn't need to be running out on the floor and all that stuff, they've been a pretty good franchise, right? And they've had a title to uh, to back it up. And so my point is, if you're really good over here, shouldn't you also be really good over there? No. Why and not? I'll tell you why. So there's two things. One, some of these owners... Um, Grow up in a, and let's just take the owners and the Lions and Steelers aren't great because these guys and the Giants too have literally inherited their teams. But most of the time, when an owner like Cuban buys in, what kind of business did you come from? Did you, because there is something about sports that is kind of artistic and you've got to be able to manage these kind of free spirits who have a feel for what they're doing. And some people grow up in businesses that are very transactional. You know, if you spend X and you charge Y, you're gonna e- it's going to equal Z, right? And, and uh, I've thought this for a long time, but what really kind of sharpened it was watching RSL and watching Deloitte Hansen take over for Dave Checkets. Uh, because I did an interview with Dave, uh, like the last game he was there, and it was in his office. And I asked, what's the biggest change, what's the biggest challenge going to be for, for Deloitte? And he said, managing Garth Lagerway and Jason Kreiss. Um, it's a different skill set. They think differently. And Deloitte was very good, you know, the commercial real estate and all the apartments. He's very good, but it's very much there's a formula. And you pay an apartment manager this, and you spend this much on land, and you charge this much for rent, and there's a formula. And if you do the algebra and you figure it out, you're going to do well. And he did the algebra, and he figured it out, and he's done really well. But managing the personalities... You know, Larry Miller was good at it, but he was almost awful at it. But he just reined himself in and he was good at it. He was brilliant. Right. But the moment we can all think of is he was furious with Carl during the playoffs. And it ended up he got mad at Jerry Sloan and was yelling at him during the game. And all the season ticket holders were telling us what they heard. Everybody who sat in the first 10 rows heard it. He was standing at the end of the bench. That wasn't a great moment when he calmed down. But in those moments when he got really intense... That's where it could have been a problem, right? There was the same night there was the incident with the Denver fans. So that's the one everyone remembers. But when he, when he didn't have that, the competitive juices and the adrenaline flowing, then he really did get the relationships and the managing people. And depending on what business you come up in, it can be really different on a sports team. Okay, well, Miller's, Larry Miller was a car guy. Yeah. And the Fords are car guys. Uh-huh. Well, why can't they do it? And I don't know uh, yeah, the Moonies, how they make their money. I don't know. Yeah. But they've had three coaches in my entire lifetime. And I've gotten it right every time. And yeah. then they let people manage. And they, you know, they, they got a knack for hiring people and those people skills you got to have. And you get a freak like Antonio Brown, you're gone. Yeah, no, this, is, this is a right it's not, well, and, and Le'Veon Bell, right? Wildly so, talented. No one's debating the talent. And why can't these other franchises yeah. get better 
it, 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 it's just, you talk I, about really mind-boggling yeah. to me. But can they come out of it, though? If you suck, can you find a way? Because you look at the, the Bidwells move to Phoenix, uh-huh. and they were awful for decades. Well, I think they've come out of it to a good but is degree. It the I mean, younger, they had a nice run. Is it the younger Bidwell who's done it? Has it been a change of generations calling the shots? Because I, yeah, I think that's died. what happened with the Colts. Now, obviously, they got Peyton Manning, right? But uh, Jim Ursay, what was the dad's name? Bob. Bob. Bob, yeah. You know, Bob didn't have it, and Jim did. Well, then you have Jim Bob. hey oh, <laughs> That's interesting. Owners, because, like, the Warriors were terrible, but they had an owner that didn't get it, and they went to one playoff in 17 years. But the change owners, and the new owner brings in uh, Jerry West as an advisor, and, man, they start getting stuff right, left and right, and all of a sudden the Warriors are a glamour franchise, which I always thought in the Bay Area they should be a glamour franchise. That, that should have worked. That, it should have been better. Well, I think everybody in the NBA should be a glamour franchise. Uh, it's a the way it's the draft to... is set up, if you suck, you get a high pick. That's the one sport where one guy can make a massive difference. Yes, so you could ride that one guy. You're right. You should be able to. But you got to have the right pick in the right year because that one guy doesn't come every year. He comes once. You know, no, there, but normally you don't suck just one year. You suck multiple years. Yeah, yeah, but if you draft second and sixth, sorry, Boston, you don't uh, get Tim Duncan. Yeah, yeah, no, but if you have good, if, if you knew what you were doing, then you would trade those picks. Right. And they did know what they were doing, and Ainge seems to have made a great pick trading out of number one and dropping down and getting his guy Jason Tatum, but that doesn't make Tatum LeBron. No. He's the best player available, and it was a brilliant decision. It was gutsy. He yeah, we're not talking about him. winning at all. We're just talking about being competitive. Yeah. Well, you're right. I mean, there are people who just, uh, the Lions cannot get it right. And the Steelers, even when the Steelers, their, their franchise quarterback goes down, they're still 500, and now they got their guy back, and they're undefeated. Despite shedding a wildly talented wide receiver, because he just can't play nicely with others, and, and a wildly talented running back. But they just plug in James Conner. He looks pretty good. He's not electrifying next level the Barry Sanders or uh, those guys don't exist anymore anyway. Right, yeah, those but he's dinosaurs. good. He's good. He'll get you eighty yards. He'll get the touchdown. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty the zone. Coming up in the nine o'clock hour, more on the Cougars. A lot of you weighing in on the question of the morning. We'll set that up for you. And Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBSSports.com, coming up at nine thirty.